Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm the Cha of WCW. And I am Enos. Enos? Mm-hmm. Cool. It'll show up and I'll be like, oh, good. <laughs> I get it now. But we'll we'll, we'll talk a, it a, out. It's a thinker, but I, yeah, I get it. Yeah. I don't know about the Shaw. Actually, I'm more confused about the Shaw one, actually. Uh, <laughs> me too. A, a rollover. I, 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 get, I get yours now. Yeah. Enos. Welcome to episode 154, Great American Bash, 1995. Back, popular, popular demand. demand. Celebrate with some red. White. Black. Blue. Hey, hey, hey. Oh, uh, yeah, that was, I was, like I was that. like, oh, shit, there's a tagline. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't had one of those in a while. Yeah, BC Dub. On any show. <laughs> yeah, even, what's it called? In Your House. Yeah. yeah. I mean, hell, we haven't even had a Great American Bash in a while. That is it's very true. Year. This is the fifth Great American Bash produced by WCW, but it's the first since 1992. Oh, we skipped some years? Yeah. I didn't even quite notice that. Weird. I feel embarrassed. I'm embarrassed by myself. So the show would take place on June 18th, 1995 at the Hara Arena in Dayton, Ohio, with an attendance of 6,000 people. 6,000. I mean, the, the, it's, it's WCW's sweet spot, so... Yeah. yeah, the arena's also... They're, like, booking the right arenas for it, too, so, like, they still look pretty full. Yeah. That's the important part. You can't have 6,000 people in a 1,500-person arena. Or 1,500... We've seen 15,000. Yeah. Yeesh. It's not good. No, not a good look. So it's like, you know, book what you book what you know you can sell. Exactly. But we are in Ohio. We are. O-H-I-O. Ohio. So what did you bring this week, Shane back? Well, decided, uh, you know, since last week I, I brought something that was inspired by the show and... Finding regional foods from faraway states here in Oklahoma can sometimes be a chore, unless I want to spend uh, all day slaving over a stove or making little sweet treats or whatever, uh, which typically I can't, especially Witch. today. Witch. <laughs> Don't whip him. We like him. Okay. I just got to take the days off that we do these shows <laughs> instead of working and then trying to figure it out Yeah. in that little meantime. But luckily... There is a, a, a style of Dayton food that you can get anywhere in the world, basically. Dayton has their own uh, style of pizza that they prefer. Uh, really? Yes. And by that, I don't mean specific toppings or anything. You, know, you, you can get a pizza however you want it. There's just two things that you have to do to make it Dayton style, and that is make it on a thin and crispy crust. Cracker-like? Yes. And cut it, instead of the traditional triangle pieces, you cut it into squares. Love squares, you say? Well, not only are they fun and different, this way somebody could have just like, just give me one little little piece left. 
one one little extra piece and not be stuck with you know a whole triangle they can get just you know a teeny tiny square and you know it's the equivalent of a third of what your typical pizza slice would be and like I said you can do any toppings you want it's just a matter of putting it on the right crust and having them cut it into squares instead of triangles I went with the uh, Domino's their deluxe I think is what it's called supreme style pizza this one's got pepperoni and Canadian bacon and sausage and mushroom and onion and green pepper and black olives it's great there's not a whole lot of Oklahoma's not a pizza state but I mean as far as the big chains go I feel like Domino's never really disappoints Mm -hmm. you know there's probably people that live in pizza states that would uh, slap me for saying something like that but I might just you know send them a federal express them a uh, (laughs) A thin crust Domino's and be like, hey man, this can't be the worst thing you've ever had. It's definitely not <laughs> Yeah, the good had, thing about Domino's I is... I had worst pizza. It already has the, I, the, uh, worst the size options pizza ever on there. It doesn't say date and style, it just says thin square crust, or yeah. triangle, but... I mean, most people in the country are like, where's Dayton? It's like Hugh Lewis said <laughs> back in the day. It's hip to be square. Mmm, I agree. I'm a huge fan of the thin cracker leg crust, so mm-hmm. this is a... I've got the fuel. Was that the news of the day? <laughs> mm. I like it. Rim shot. Rim silent shot. Rim. I love the silent <laughs> rim shot. That's a good gimmick. Like. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Once again, we need to put it. It won't be there. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're working on our Foley work. We're not there yet. That's right. Well, right around the same time as Great American Bash, a movie that would change all of our lives. Batman Forever would be released to theaters the same weekend. I wasn't even sure if that was from... I get Forever and um, Robin mixed up because they're both Schumacher, and I can never... There's Both of them have so many villains that I can't figure out... Remember which one's which. Forever's good. Batman, Robin, bad. Forever, yeah, Forever is Val Kilmer, right? Yes. Val Kilmer, Jim Carrey. Nipple... Nipples is... And Robin. Yeah. And this one is... Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones. Poison Ivy. No. Uma no. Thurman. No? That's Poison Batman Ivy's and Robin. and Robin. So there's just the two villains in this yes. one. Yes. And then uh, Bane and all the other... And yeah. Poison Ivy. Bane, and horribly Christy bad Freeze. Bane. Bane, Freeze, and Poison Ivy are in and Robin. I prefer Batman and Robin Bane over Tom Hardy Bane. Because I at least he would not ever be in Batman movies. I mean, that's fine too. I, I won't argue that point. And I prefer Tom Hardy shirtless. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> I will agree with that statement <laughs> yeah. completely. I mean, yeah. The guy's got traps that started his earlobes. No. I mean, the I mean, reason. Wrestlers this... must have just like dreams about those traps. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> If there's a reason why Batman Forever is better than Batman and Robin, it's because Jim Carrey is doing a Batman 66 Riddler impression. Mm-hmm. Also, he's coming right off of like his basically off of his like year of becoming the biggest star in America with I mean, Tommy Lee Jones three huge is movies doing the same thing. Oh, uh, with what The Fugitive? Yeah. And yeah. probably just The Fugitive, I guess. Yeah, cuz yeah. Men Oscar in Black's not out yet, before. right? I don't think so. No, Men in Black was still a few years away. Yeah. Okay. Because you had Independence Day first, I believe. I don't know. It's all blurry. Which was 96. So yeah, Men in Black, I think, was 96. 
seven. But yeah, that's in my opinion, that's the reason why. Yeah, I would think about those movies a lot, which is weird, and I think it's just because those movies are so different than the previous Batman movies, where they're colorful and ridiculous, and they kind of have some of the energy of the like '66 Batman in general. I mean, that's the thing is like. Schumacher if went if all a, out. If you're a fan of Batman 66, and then you go straight into those movies, they're fun. I think the biggest issue is that they came so shortly after Batman yeah. and Batman Returns by yeah. Tim Burton. It's a completely different yeah. style see, of movie. For me, like I was a little young to see the... like I seen Batman and... like, But like I was as a kid, I my the most Batman I was into was I would watch the 66 reruns on television before Scooby-Doo came on. My sister was into Scooby-Doo. I liked the 66 Batman because uh, Bams and Splash. I thought it was yeah. fun. I was a little kid. So, like, I think that that's why when these movies came out, I didn't think anything. I was like, oh, it's a movie. Uh, it's fine. It's good. It's Batman. So I didn't, I didn't have any strong opinions because I was so young. So, like, it's like, oh, there's nothing wrong with these. Because <laughs> I didn't have any, like, as a kid, there's not many movies you watch where you're like, this is bad. You don't really have an opinion. You're just like, well, I either loved it or I watched it. <laughs> it's kind of how you take in media. Man, I know people gave Val Kilmer a hard time as as Batman. But I thought Val Kilmer was the best Bruce Wayne. I loved him, yeah. <clears throat> I haven't been, I haven't seen it in a long enough time to... You got Val Kilmer and Nicole Kidman. Oh, yeah, Nicole wrong. Kidman's in it. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I think, like I said, I think about these movies all the time. I should give them a rewatch. I've seen Batman and Batman Returns a bunch and recently, so it's like, I yeah, mean, I don't know. Yeah. The soundtrack of this movie also gave us, as you, Rose. Seal's greatest song. The Grammy winning Only Seal song, song and Seal song, year. I know. Uh, U2's only rock song for about 10 years. <laughs> I bet video is crazy. It's like animated. Which song? Kiss Me, Kill Me, oh. Thrill Me, or whatever. Thrill me. Yeah. I forgot about that The video's one. kind of fun I for that song. Because so. they, they did the... They had done uh, pop. And so literally that's why I say this is the only rock, rock song, song that yeah. they did for 10 years. Because uh, they didn't release another album until... That one? Why can't I think of what it's called? You uh, would know better than I would. I know I would. And I would All I know is I'd that they have now... I know uh, they have like something feng shui or whatever, and uh, of course the Joshua Tree. But is that I... the 1, 2, 3, 14 song? No, it's not Vertigo. It's the album before Vertigo. <laughs> Why am I... I hate that I'm... Blanking here? It happens. Blanking. It happens. It's like Luna's... Beautiful Day. And... All That You Can't Leave Behind. Uh, oh, that's right. It's a beautiful day. That song's kind of good. Don't let it get away. It's a beautiful day. Well, it's the the like the hey, the hey, drum hey. part. Yeah, because uh, Zuropa was '93, Pop was '97. So I guess technically this is the only rock song that I didn't. Really, I guess I just blanked that Pop was '97. It feels like it was much earlier than that. Yeah. But then all that you can't leave behind when they finally went back to rock songs was 2000. And what's the, the album that they put on everybody's phone that everybody decided that, or at least I was one of the everybody that I mentioned, <laughs> had to find the special way to remove it because fuck you, don't put your shit everybody on got mad. I mean, I think it's it's still very funny. The it, Black Album, it's, it's called, it's, or something like that? Songs of Innocence. Uh, it's uh, a, It resulted in a joke I really like in the movie Pop Star. Which I don't think anybody's seen, but I like that movie a lot. <laughs> I like that movie a whole lot. <clears throat> yeah, I never watched Popstar. 
That's the one with the Lonely Island Boys. Yeah, it's basically like what Pop Star Never Stop Never Stopping is one of the <laughs> it's best funny. movies. It's so funny. <laughs> I am a huge fan. But so have to watch. It's it. very like Lonely Island doing um, like Spinal Tap, but instead of like uh, metal or hard rock, they're doing like a Spinal Tap, but like a Justin Bieber type of character. And then of course you know all of the humor is more updated, like you know take place in the current time. So uh, it's a very funny movie. And uh, I highly suggest it. Mm-hmm. As well as maybe going back and watching Batman Forever. There's no way you're going to have a bad time watching it. No. Unless you watch Batman and Robin by mistake. Mm, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, because then even Batman and Robin, they bring in Alicia Silverstone. Yep. Like, yeah. She's like, oh, well, I mean, I got to go. Maybe I'll try to do something different. She only has one movie. It's Clueless. We yeah. all agree it's great. As if, Uncle Alfred. Yeah. <laughs> Goddamn. <laughs> Well, let's head off to Ohio and talk some great American bash. And the show opens with narration. Flag waves for glory across America. Summer has arrived in the birthplace of aviation. That's right. The logo then comes on the screen before the narration continues to tell us about the matches on the show. Tony Schiavone then welcomes us. And Bobby the Brain Heenan will join him on commentary. Uh, They have a Tron now. You know, like the the bunch of TV trolls, you know, like the... More of a stage setup. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they've had stage setups in the past. I kind of missed the catwalk era, but the, the, the Tron, I was like, oh, good on you guys. Spend a little bit of money. Spend a little Uncle Ted's money. That's right. Billionaire Ted, buy us some TVs. So Tony says that it's apropos that today is Father's Day. Because Savage is out for revenge for what was done to his dad. And the brain says the, that Flair might have gone too far, but Macho should have just beat up his father years ago, with Shivani just looking disappointed. <laughs> uh, Bobby looks great. He's got this bright blue suit on, dressed to impress yep. for Mother's Day. Bobby's looking like Bobby again. Or Father's Day. Mother's Day was the last WWF show, I believe, we covered. Tony then discusses what happened on Main Event, the show that happens kind of as the pre-show for the pay-per-view, saying that there was a confrontation between Hogan and Vader. Uh-oh. Shivani then sends it to Dave Penzer, our new ring announcer, guys. And he will actually be our ring announcer until WCW closes up shop. And he's actually the current ring announcer in Impact Wrestling as of today. Oh wow! Uh, did, was he in? Did he do TNA at all? Yes. Oh, okay, so he's basically went from WCW to TNA, and has just been yeah. ring announcing his entire life. He, just, he Jesus. just followed Jeff Jarrett, closed down shop, went open a new one. Yep. Our old ring announcer Gary Michael Capetta, who we've had since forever. The I believe the very first. Starcade that we watched since episode one. Yeah. Uh, he was released due to budget cuts. Oh Damn. my gosh. Nick, that's upsetting. Nick Khan was at it already back then. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, it's Gary Michael Capetta. Like, I'm never going to remember Steve Pinzer. Doesn't roll off the tongue. Dave Pinzer. See, I already forgot. <laughs> Gary Michael Capetta or bust. Mm-hmm. But we head straight to our first match Flying Brian Pillman. <sighs> Couldn't be more excited about Versus Das Wunderkun, Alex Wright. I mean, come on. This is what I want to see on the first match of a WCW show. This is what we've been missing. 
I mean, yeah, I've been missing me some Flying Brian, so bring it. Well, Alex, right? I mean, you can only assume he's only getting getting better, right? Oh, yeah. They're I pushing mean. him. So last time we saw Pillman was at Spring Stampede 94, all the way back in episode 115. Missed you. So it's been a bit. The two men trade arm bars while each does some fancy flipping to escape before Flying Brian hits a head scissors and extends his hand for a handshake, which brings booze from the crowd. Pillman is then tossed to a corner where he leaps up to head scissors with a charging Alex, continues with a drop kick and an arm bar, only for Wright to escape and leap off the turnbuckles with a backward flip over the charging Brian, followed by hitting a drop kick and a head scissors takedown. I mean, these guys are working nice and clean, Alex Wright. Whenever somebody's that tall does like that extended of a flip, it's always just like, Jesus. It just makes them look twice as tall. Yep. Pillman escapes from a headlock, where Alex continues to transition into pin attempts, but only for a two-count. Wright then hits another head scissors, goes for a kick, but it's caught by Flying Brian, flipping him over to land on his feet, allowing Alex to go for another kick, but it's caught again. So Wright tries for an enziguri, which Pillman ducks and applies a bow and arrow. Flying Brian with a tilt-a-whirl head scissor before attempting a drop kick, which Alex swats away and counters into a Boston Crab. I know, I'm already hyped. I'm like, hell yes. This is what WCW has been missing with the Hulk effect. Wright tries to transition into a surfboard, but he can't pull Pillman back, so he nearly pulls Brian's arms out of socket. Yeah, that looks a little rough. I was watching this and I went, ow. <laughs> Alex goes for multiple roll-ups for a bunch of two counts, which just pisses Pillman off, so he slaps right. The two men begin trading hammer locks until Alex dumps Flying Brian out to the floor, before just sitting on the middle rope, waving Pillman back in. But Pillman slowly walks down the steps, pulling right down to the floor, and chopping the fuck out of him. <laughs> yeah, it's great. The crowd's popping for everything Pillman's doing, um... I believe Bobby or Tony informs us this is uh, his hometown. He's the hometown boy here. And people are probably excited to see him back. He played in, He played for the Bengals. The yeah. Cincinnati Bengals. Haven't seen him. Who are in Ohio. Haven't who, seen him uh, on fucking TV in a year. Yeah. Or who are going to the Super Bowl. To, time, right. to, to uh, you know, put a time stamp on this. <laughs> <laughs> back in the ring, the two exchange blows with Alex taking control after a face slam before going for a splash. Only for Pillman to get his knees up and start delivering more chops. Flying Brian delivers a gut-wrench gut-buster, then hangs right out to dry on the top rope before attempting to bring him back in with a vertical suplex. But Alex reverses to send Pillman out to the floor. I know. I was like, are they going to do it to the floor? And they did it to the floor, and I was like, damn. Because you always wait for it, and it rarely happens. So when it does, you know. It's like, it's protected because who wants to take that bump? Yeah, those always make me extra nervous because I'm just waiting for something to fuck up on the, the landing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's a, little, it's a long way to go. Right with a baseball slide kick and a tope suicida, followed by hitting a missile drop kick back inside the ring for a near fall. Flying Brian dumps Alex out to the floor and follows out with a tope suicida of his own. Sets right against the rail and heads up to the second rope. Only for the Das Wunderkind to move. No, don't do it. Sending Pillman 
chest first across the steel. Boo. Back in the ring, Alex misses a top rope crossbody, followed by both men missing stereo drop kicks. Brian Brian makes it to his feet first and sets right up for a superplex, only to be thrown off, allowing Alex to connect with a crossbody for the pin. And the no Pillman kicks out. Wright begins to whip Brian around the ring, but Pillman is out of gas. So Alex heads up top, coming off with a double axe handle, only to be met by a drop kick to the face. I love it. I love wrestling. <laughs> Flying Brian makes the cover for the pin, and the no Das Wonderkin kicks out. Tillman heads up top now, only for Wright to launch him crotch first onto the top rope. The two men then trade some waist locks, but it's Alex who hits the bridging German suplex for the pin. And no! Brian kicks out again! Pillman goes for a crucifix into a sunset flip, but Wright just sits down on the shoulders, folding Brian up for the pin. And, and the win. win. Incredible. This is what I want. This is what I want out of WCW. This is what I want out of wrestling. This is, uh, you know, more in the style of things that I like to see. One of the reasons that I uh, speak so highly of New Japan regularly. So, you know, this is how we want to see a show start. We used to get things similar to this. And who knows if this was, is like, was this as good as I thought it was or was i just excited to see some fucking wrestling maybe a little bit of both i mean it's <laughs> def- i could think to say it was yes it's, it's like yeah, it's very good it's definitely the best wcw match we have seen in a while yes and pillman's and the crowd's eating pillman up like fucking i don't yeah, know if it's up there else. with the eddie matches that we've had on ecw no it's a no. it's a slower it's style a, it's a Slight step down, but it's still very good. It's clean and well worked, and like it's built for tension. Because like when he hit the German, I was like, "Holy shit, no! He's gonna pin! He's gonna pin fucking Pillman!" It's like he can't pin Pillman. And then uh, when he sits down on Pillman and pins him, I was just like, "Bah! You fucking got! Me. I just want to get got!" So I appreciated that very much. Tony then sends us to a video package about Diamond Dallas Page. And DDP has the Diamond Doll at his side, talking about his big muscles. And he is an arm wrestling champion, followed by highlights of him defeating people on various WCW programs. You know what I was thinking at this moment? When did Over the Top come out? Is uh, is I was going to say, is arm wrestling really big right now? I know it was a thing in the 80s but nah, like 85 86 yeah it's like my, my dad uh in the 80s he had fr- he had a, than that over the top yeah. yeah i don't know but my dad in the 80s he had a friend who was like I mean, an arm much, wrestling like champion guy 87 but so like there at one point arm <laughs> wrestling had a, a big moment uh and of course movies are always a little bit late to the trends so it's like oh you know eventually they made an arm wrestling movie but yeah, it's weird to see it in... I mean, we've seen arm wrestling stuff in wrestling before, but it seems kind of late for an arm wrestling thing. But maybe I'm crazy. Over the top was 87. 87. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, you were close. Yeah, it was just like... I think it was a little bit later than 85. We then see Paige tell Kimberly to shut her mouth 
in one highlight before seeing Max Muscle come to the ring with him. Oh, Max. Who? DDP challenges anyone to an arm wrestling match, and if they win, they get a date with Kimberly. Hmm. And Ray's I'll, I'll yeah. challenge. Yeah. So it's uh, <laughs> she, he's Kimberly's the new uh, the Diamond Doll was the new baby doll. Exactly. It went from baby to diamond. So we see a highlight of Van Hammer taking the challenge, which I thought was a fun bit of continuity because Van Hammer won the Jesse Ventura arm wrestling challenge like in the late 80s or so. Yeah, yeah, I mean... Maybe early 90s. Yeah, probably early... I guess it was early... Yeah, because Van Hammer, he was around for a second, just like Jesse. But I just thought it was... Who knows if they actually intentionally did it that way, but I thought it was fun. Yeah. But during that match, Max starts helping... DDP by giving him some leverage before he kicks Hammer's legs out from under him so that DDP wins. So his leverage is like he puts his foot under the other guy's foot? Yeah. Does that work? I have no clue. Okay. Just get, asking. I get, thought it was get, get traction there. Yeah, I thought it was weird as well. You get an extra but I was like, it's wrestling. I'm, yeah, yeah. You I'm, get an extra couple inches of leverage. Mean Gene is then with Evad and Ralph the Rabbit. The little bunny. That's cool. Evad. Dave Sullivan. Now he's kind of crazy. And... She, 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 uh, what was it? Uh, e- Eshan? What was it? Enos. 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 Yeah. <clears throat> Okerlund tells Sullivan that if he loses, DDP wants Ralph for some rabbit stew. <gasps> Animal cruelty, guys. I know. I mean, at no. least at least make like a... I guess rabbits do. Yeah. I don't know what you do with a rabbit. I wouldn't want to eat a bunny. They're cute. Phrase it. They're gross little creatures. (laughs) Had one when I was a kid. Really? Or my sister had one. Really? I always kind of wanted a pet rabbit, but I want one of those really big ones. They're like the the Flemish giant. But I'm like, I assume that they just shit all over the floor, and I'm like, well, that's that's basically exactly what I don't want out of a pet. But if if they They didn't shed and shit all over the floor, and they're yeah, they're cute, but I guess I'll just look at pictures of them on the internet instead. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> just look for one that's jumping around in your yard. Yeah, they, they, they like my backyard. Be thankful. Evad then says that Ralph was okay with him putting the rabbit up because he knows he's going to win before saying Happy Father's Day to Daddy Sullivan. And Oakland asks him, what's your dad's name? Daddy Sullivan. Mm. So does that make his dad's name Daddy Sullivan, Daddy Sullivan. <laughs> I, it, I mean, it makes it creepy because <laughs> Evad should know his father's name and shouldn't be say, calling him Daddy. <laughs> At this point, you should be calling him Dad. Maybe his name is actually Edad. Oh, you uh, Edad uh, coming to an OnlyFans near you. <laughs> <laughs> so we go to our second match: Diamond Dallas Page with the Diamond Doll and Max Bustle. Versus Evad Sullivan with Ralph the Rabbit. In a little purple carrying case. In an arm wrestling match. Bunny versus Pussy? Basically, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that's a little crass. So the story behind this match was that DDP had claimed to win millions of dollars in arm wrestling and would challenge anyone. Evad had become smitten with Kimberly, as we all are bringing her gifts 
with the Diamond Doll returning the favor, buying him his pet rabbit. Oh, she bought him the rabbit. She bought him the rabbit. That's cute. Aww. That's so cute. This would anger Paige. Now he wants to eat the rabbit. Leading to this match. So the last time we saw DDP was at Spring Stampede 94, back in episode 115. First question, Shane, who is Max Muscle? Yeah, come I, on. I just had to look to to see if he was somebody, because I don't remember him being anything... I don't really remember him as Max Muscle, but I thought surely he's a big dude, so he had to go on and do something else, but he didn't really have... Much. Okay, I okay. couldn't, oh, I couldn't yeah. find anything either. I was hoping maybe you had some memory of some sort. Yeah. Okay, just so making I, sure yeah, that I, was, I didn't miss something. Because I was like, oh, this... They reached into the power plant and they first pulled out Max Muscle. And then they reached back in and then I guess they found Goldberg after that. <laughs> yeah, a few years later, but you know. <laughs> the power plant didn't bring us legends, really. They brought us Goldberg. So Tony's talking about Sullivan when he brings up that Kevin Sullivan is now going by the name The Taskmaster. Oh, is he a big Marvel Comics guy? Well, maybe. (laughs) Last time we saw Kevin, he was running away from running away trying to find the guy with the from the master, so freezing cold cobwebs on him. Oh yeah, that guy. Paige then takes the mic and he gives Evad the chance to leave. Saving himself the embarrassment of losing. Just leave the bunny in the ring and walk away. But Sullivan is ready. As it seems like Evad's watched over the top. Because he turns his hat around backwards. Ooh, it's getting serious. It's game time, y'all. Yeah, I'm going to win this one for um, my son, who's also a rabbit. That's right. I'm going to get myself a new thingy for the front of my truck, just yeah, like Sylvester Stallone. If only he could have uh, driven a Mack truck to the ring. So it looks like they're going to lock up, but DDP pulls away at the last second, which gets Sullivan mad. And this happens multiple times. You gotta milk it. It's just an arm wrestling match. <laughs> they finally do lock up, and it's back and forth. When we get a wide shot, where we can see Max giving Paige some leverage. And as you said, like literally just putting his foot underneath and the heel. The ref makes muscle back up. So Evad is back in this. Only for DDP to fight back. But again, Max looks to provide some leverage. With Nick Patrick backing him up once more. Followed by Sullivan all of a sudden slamming DDP's arm down. For the win, as it looked like Paige slipped. Uh-oh. So Evad gets a date with Kimberly. I know. She, the Diamond Doll, uh, was looking, you know, kind of worried. Heenan lets us know that she'll be going out with uh, a moron and a rabbit. Shivani says something about the Diamond Doll bumping into Paige. Post-match, DDP starts shoving muscle with them staring each other down. But then they hug before Paige just starts berating Kimberly. That's not how you keep your girl. We then get a replay of what happened, where we see Max giving the leverage to DDP before the ref moves him. And as he backs away, Muscle backs into the Diamond Doll, who bounces off into Paige, causing him to stumble, allowing him to lose. Oh, man. So, bad camera work on the original shot. But we we got it all. We got it all figured out. In the end. Yeah, I mean, we've seen 
plenty of things not explained in the past, so at least we got it here, even if it's, you know, post. Exactly. We then go to the stage, Mean Gene's there with Paige, Max, and Kimberly, and DDP wants a do-over, and is going to have a long talk with the Diamond Doll. You sound like such a wiener when you call it a do-over and not like a rematch. It's like, I want a do-over, and you sound like a shitty little kid, which is pretty great. Okerlund then asks Bustle if he knows what happened. And he responds with, absolutely. DDP then asks if he lost the match. And Max responds with, absolutely. (laughs) Do you know any other words? Absolutely. What are they? Positively. Time to go to our (laughs) third match. I mean, you know, like I said, I don't know who's training the power plant, but... They're not creating stars at the moment. There's no Dr. Tom at the power plant. Nope, there's a Jody Hamilton, the mass assassin. Oh, okay. Or assassin uh, number one, I guess I should, should oh, say. Well, all right. Can he still walk? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> so we go to our third match. Hacksaw Jim Duggan versus Sergeant Craig Pittman. What? Mm-hmm. So this match was actually supposed to be Pittman versus Marcus Alexander Bagwell. Oh, where's Baggy? He had an exploded calf implant. Ugh, disgusting. That's so gross. Wait, you saying his muscles aren't real? Just that one. I am absolutely saying his (laughs) muscles aren't real. That's crazy, because, like, Bagwell's got a great physique. He's he's, he's just one of those guys where it's like, ah, I can't get my calves big enough. It's like, that's that's exactly... It's totally fine if your calves, if the rest of you looks that good. Look at Brock Lesnar. You guys got wiener calves. I got calves bigger than Brock Lesnar. Exactly, wearing long tights. Yeah, I got calves bigger than fucking I mean, Brock Lesnar. He already Lester. is wearing long tights, yeah. that's the thing. And, you know, big tall boots to cover up his fucking calves. So, what are you doing there? Yeah, you, va- you vain wiener. Baggy. Sergeant Pittman is an actual retired Marine. Oh, okay. He's got, like, a full WWF type of, like, vibe here. Old, old pity does. Well, like a script. <laughs> he just no, just like uh, just you know, it's like he's got a, a job. His gimmick feels very WWF. So the two men start shoving and yelling at each other when Hacksaw goes to get the crowd involved with a USA chant, <laughs> and Sarge does some push-ups. He's got the energy. Calls for a USA chant against a Marine. Yeah, smart. This made me so annoyed. Tony even points that out at one point. Duggan doing Duggan as only Duggan can do it. Yeah, the guy's also wearing a United States Marines t-shirt, and people are doing a USA chant. I'm like, hey, what are we even doing here? Because Hacksaw's got stars on his knee pads. Or I, yeah, I don't know much about Hacksaw's past, but I'm willing to bet that this guy is more legit than uh, Duggan as far as, you know, Duggan's stealing valor here. Unless, I mean, maybe Duggan did some time in the armed forces, but I doubt he was a Marine. Doubtful. So the two men continue to be back and forth until Sarge starts choking Duggan on the ropes before charging at him, only for Hacksaw to move, sending Pittman flying over the ropes and to the floor. Where he lands on his feet. Hacksaw follows out to deliver some punishment before rolling back in, trying to drag Sarge, only for Pittman to trip up Duggan and wrap his knee around the ring post several times. Back in the ring, the two men roll around on the mat with Sarge applying a leg bar which Hacksaw escapes with a big right hand. Duggan continues to throw jabs, but Pittman shoots in for a double leg takedown to go back to the leg bar, 
transitioning it into a spinning toe hold, only for Hacksaw to kick Sarge away hard enough to send him out to the floor. Duggan begins to fire up with right hands, and he goes for a body slam, but the knee gives, so he can't follow through. Hacksaw then delivers a clothesline and a three-point stance, only for Pittman to no-sell. Trip up Duggan and lock on the Code Red. Bum, bum, bum. Did you order the Code Red? Which was a cross-arm breaker. Yeah. We've only been working on the leg the entire match, guys. So, so yeah, we'll go to the arm now. Hey. I did appreciate him no-selling a three-point stance. Zigs and then he zags. That's, that felt good. Hacksaw banks it to the ropes, but Sarge won't release the hold, and the bell is called for. So the official announcement is Duggan by DQ. Honestly, Duggan deserves the pin, considering uh, this man didn't have the foresight to pick his leg again. So post-match, Hacksaw grabs his 2x4 and starts swinging it away at everybody, including the ref. Yeah, it's some nice timing. Like, Duggan's swinging this thing a little more... A little harder than expected, and uh, there's a couple quick, quick ducks. Tough well, guys. A little close for comfort with two by four. We go to the back, and Mean Gene Oof. is there with the Blue Bloods, and Regal compares the Nasty Boys to Hitler and Goebbels, blowing it in World War II. Continuing with that, violence gets attention in America. Tony then sends it to some footage from main event where we see Harlem Heat and Sherry confront the stud stable on the stage area. Oh, the stud stable. Stud stable. I mean, won't die. when it comes down to it, I'm just happy to see Bobby, uh, Bobby Eaton. Or, I mean, hold on. Robert Earl of Eaton. Sherry is calling Colonel Parker a fried chicken and Dick Slater a wannabe cowboy. And Bunkhouse Buck, greasy. I mean, she called Bunkhouse Buck whatever she wants. I'm over that guy. Parker responds that he is an American legend. And that Sherry might just be yearning for some companionship of a sudden gem. <laughs> Promising to fix it before kissing her. Followed by Sherry just punching the shit out of him. That's my girl. Sherry's great. We'll never have anything bad to say about Sherry. So we go straight to our fourth match. The stud stable of Bunkhouse Buck and Dirty Dick Slater with Colonel Robert Parker versus Harlem Heat of Stevie Ray and Booker T with Sister Sherry. Last time we saw Slater was at Clash 20 all the way back in episode 75. Where you been, Dickie boy? Doing something dirty, probably. Uh, Yeah, most likely. So everybody starts brawling to begin with Harlem Heat tossing the stud stable out to the floor to regroup. Once it settles down, Stevie Ray goes slam crazy on the stable before Booker comes in with a jumping hook kick on Buck and a drop kick on Dirty Dick. Yeah, and this is basically like a number one contenders match, right? Basically. Booker T continues with a pump kick followed by a big boot from Stevie on Bunkhouse Buck and another drop kick from Booker. Back and forth between the two teams as they work chin locks and arm bars before Booker hits a body slam. Goes for an elbow drop, only for Buck to move. So Booker T, spin-a-roonies up, blasting Bunkhouse Buck with a leaping forearm. Stevie Ray then comes in and is tossed to the rope. 
where Dirty Dick kicks him in the back from the apron, allowing Buck to deliver a big boot, sending Stevie out to the floor, where Slater runs him into a ring post. Posted. Back in the ring, Bunkhouse Buck hits another big boot for a two count, which should have been a three as Stevie forgot to kick out. He kind of forgot to kick out. The Shaw of WCW is Dirty Dick Slater, who yells Shaw whenever he performs kicks and punches. He is, uh, that's his thing, where it's like the Shaw, Hack Myers, and ECW, they're kind of like commenting on like that being a trope of. Um, you know, probably older wrestlers. Here's Dick Slater to perpetrate the trope. Yeah. I guess I missed that. Uh, but... It's really noticeable because he's like, but, you know, I wouldn't say go back and watch it, but just trust death, me. Death. Just trust me. Don't go back he does it very loudly. It's kind just of... wait till the next show. He does his shaws as loud as um, Sullivan's yells hey for no reason while he's walking around. Stevie Ray then ducks a double clothesline from the stable before returning off the ropes with a double shoulder block of his own, before crawling to the corner for the hot tag. Booker T's in with right hands to both men, drop kick on Slater, leaping forearm on Buck, makes the cover, but Dirty Dick saves it. Everybody's brawling again with Booker cradling up Bunkhouse Buck as the ref is trying to break up Slater and Stevie in the corner, which allows Parker to run in and turn the cradle over so that Buck is on top. Once the colonel is out of the ring, Sherry then runs in and rolls the cradle back over as the ref turns around to make the count for the pin and the win. I mean... Fun little finish, guys. Yeah, for sure. Like, this is a really well-booked match where it's just like, oh, we did what we needed to do everything hit at the right time and the crowd was into it and we got a story here kind of just works this is my favorite Harlem Heat match I think I've watched yeah I would agree and it has Bunkhouse Bug in it guys uh, yeah I choose to ignore that part <laughs> but I mean no like this <clears throat> this just every they did everything was timed well and they did they did the right stuff I guess if you throw him in a match that we haven't you know seen him wrestle 400 times before. Yeah, it helps when you're not just sitting across Get from the nasty. fresh material. A little positive outlook on, instead of just redneck number one against redneck number two. And hey, at least it's Bunkhouse Buck and Dustin are not in the ring again. We saw enough exactly. of that. At least it's fresh. We're not all, you know, the hugest Bunkhouse Buck fans, but if we're going to use them, like, let's not just, we don't need to keep running it back in an Axel Rotten style. Because we already have. Yep. Tony then sends us to footage from the main event, where we see Eric Bischoff and Nick Bockwinkel. They're about to make a major announcement concerning Hogan and Vader. When the big man gets impatient. So impatient that his singlet was on backwards. Vader... I don't know if you guys noticed that. Um, Vader does that pretty often. He's kind of famous for not washing his gear and being a very smelly guy and hitting Maybe hard. Maybe the clean side. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've quoted Bret Hart a million times, but wrestling Vader is like wrestling a concrete truck full of vomit. But Vader ends up roughing up the commish and Bischoff when the Hulkster would run out to make the save, 
beating Vader down with a chair. But it becomes a brawl as the wrestlers come out to break it up. Break it up. We come back live on the pay-per-view to Bockwinkle in the announcer area with Shivani and Heenan. And the major announcement is that Vader and Hogan will meet in a cage match at... Bash at the Beach. Yeah, that's right. The mm-hmm. commission forgets the name of the next pay-per-view. I mean, come on, Bach. What's up, Bach? Bash at the Beach. I know. Like that's a big uh, that's a big one for WCW, especially uh, when they actually start having them on the beach. I don't know if that's this year, but I do know that it is it is this one coming up. But this botch of not remembering the name would basically end his tenure <laughs> oh, wow. as the commissioner. It was embarrassing. And this is the last time we will see him. Do you think? Uh, do you think Bischoff was just like, "Fuck that, I'm taking over." He's like, "This is I mean, my way in." You just fucked up the marketing of everything by yeah. forgetting that. For yeah, me. it doesn't. It's not very. It's hard to take it you seriously if you can't even tell me where they're gonna have the match. Exactly. And like, how hard is it to remember Bash at the beach? I mean, we're at Great American Bash. The yeah. next show. Has one of the words that we'll yeah, it's like it as well. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty wild. Oh, Nick! But I mean, hey, I'm ready for Hogan and Vader in a cage, uh, even if it probably isn't going to go the way I wanted to. Probably not, but does it ever? No. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> so we go to the back. Ric Flair is there with Mean Gene, and the Nature Boy has this line for Savage: "I took your wife in '92." And I took your dad at Slamboree. Oh my god. <laughs> Woo! That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure that uh, the Nature Boy Ric Flair just came out as bi. <laughs> it's a choice of words yeah, for I'm sure. It all the he's a savage. <laughs> he is, he is, yeah. There's two savages here. <laughs> so we go to our fifth match The Renegade with Jimmy Hart. Versus the Enforcer, Arn Anderson, for the WCW World Television Championship. Oh, Rennie. Is this his first non-squash match? Uh, this is the first match we've seen of him at all. Yeah, I mean, on TV, I'm assuming he's, but they've just been giving him squashies. That I have no clue. I'm sure they probably have, though. Yeah. So the two men get into each other's face. But when the Renegade turns away, Arn attacks him. Only for the Renegade to just no-sell everything he throws at him. Before clotheslining Anderson multiple times, sending him out to the floor. Back in the green, the Renegade stays in control with a headlock. Before the two men trade ab stretches. Only for the Enforcer to escape with a hip toss and an enziguri. But once again, Renegade no-sells. The two men then trade sleepers, which... Double A gets out of with a back suplex before choking Renegade in the ropes and applying a chin lock. But the Renegade powers out, only to then run right into a spine buster for a near fall. Ah, doesn't it hurt? Doesn't it just hurt? Arn sends Renegade to the corner, charges in with a back elbow, only for the Renegade to duck and deliver an atomic drop into the turnbuckle where Anderson bounces back for them to hit heads for a double KO. The Enforcer is up to his feet first and heads to the top rope, only for the Renegade to knock him down, crotching double A, before lifting him up for a fireman's carry slam. 
The Renegade then heads up to the top rope, coming off with a splash for the pin and, and the win. And new. As soon as this match started, I was like, if Renegade wins, I'm going to build a bomb and mail it to him. So if somebody has a PDF of the uh, Anarchist Cookbook, maybe I'll give out my email towards the end of the uh, show. But uh, in all seriousness, um, all opinions of Michael Temple <laughs> are I'm obviously uh, kidding. His own this is obviously, and only obviously, um, you know, jokes here. But I mean, we know Arn's got no issue with losing, and uh, he does his best to put Rennie over, and does a pretty good job of it. And also, the crowd uh, is on Arn's side as they chant for a DDT after the Spinebuster, and they don't get it. You know, Renegade may have won, but he's not over. Definitely not. As the crowd is not happy with this result at all. And neither is the giant in the crowd. Where he's shooting daggers with his eyes at Renegade before almost grabbing Jimmy Hart. The Louse of the South. So he still hasn't been given a name, the giant. But I got an I got a name. El Gigante. Uh, not quite the same guy. Okay, okay, cool. I love that next to him there's just like a skinny white kid in a Cannibal Corpse t-shirt. It's like, fuck, man. <laughs> Andre the <laughs> what a gross, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So Tony sends us to another video package where we see footage of the Blue Bloods and Nasty Boys in various matches before the Blue Bloods attack the Nasties on main event before Slamboree, which caused the Hurt Knobs to not be able to be there for the entire match that we saw. Chaos would erupt during a non-title match on a WCW main event, a different one, with Sags whipping Regal with what you can hear Dusty Rhodes call a Stangin call. <laughs> they would rematch on the next week's WCW Saturday Night, where Harlem Heat would join the fray because they still want a rematch. We then go to Mean Gene in the back with the Nasty Boys, and Nobbs screams that everybody wants their titles, and tells the Blue Bloods to read the sign. It says, Great American Bash. We're going to bash your brains out. Sags joins in that they won't allow anyone from England to take what is theirs. And Okerlund restates all that patriotism, when Brian interrupts to dedicate the match to his dad. Aww. For my nasty dad for Father's Day. <laughs> so we go to our sixth match. The Blue Bloods of Lord William Regal and Earl Robert Eaton versus the Nasty Boys of Jerry Sags and Brian Nobbs for the WCW World Tag Team Championship. Oh, my nickname should have been Michael Earl of Temple. <laughs> sitting right there, bro. I know. Next I thought about it even when I watched the show. I didn't write it down. Well, from uh, match feel, six I, on. I feel like we might get to the Blue Bloods. <laughs> I mean, hopefully. I'm a, a, a big eating boy. Depends on what that line is after this paragraph. <laughs> we shall see. Where will this go? The brain says that Regal traced the Earl's ancestry back to England and that they were aristocrats. And Shivani chimes in that he can't believe that because they're from Alabama. <laughs> yep. The match gets going and everybody is brawling as soon as they get in the ring before heading to ringside and down the aisle. 
Once they're back in the ring, Sags is taking care of Lord William with clotheslines before Eaton gets taken down by a double clothesline from the Nasties as well. Brian with a back body drop on Regal before making him taste a pit stop. Earl Robert rolls back in, only to be clotheslined in the corner and given a pit stop as well, sending him out to the floor to regroup with Lord William. I love that Tony Schiavone slips and says, beautiful Bobby, really early. It's like, yeah, we all know who this guy is. We know he is uh, no blue blood. Back in the ring, Sags is pummeling Regal to send him out to the floor where Nobbs flies off the apron with a double axe handle and an elbow drop. We go back to brawling around ringside with the Nasties in control, where Eaton is atomic dropped onto a chair by Brian. While in the ring, Jerry is delivering a pump handle slam to Lord William for a two count. Nobbs continues the punishment on Regal with turnbuckle smashes, but an eye poke turns the momentum until Brian can hit a back body drop on Earl Robert. Nobbs then goes for a running clothesline but Eaton Ducks, sending Brian out to the floor, followed by Lord William coming off the apron with an elbow drop of his own. Back in the ring, the Blue Bloods are working over Nobbs with strikes, with Sags trying to make the save, but this only allows the Blue Bloods to continue to double-team. Earl Robert then charges into the corner for a Bronco Buster, but Brian moves, allowing him to tag Sags in for a power slam and a knee drop. Jerry is working over Eaton when Regal grabs at him, causing Nobbs to come in to protest, allowing Lord William to jump in the ring as well to throw Sags over the ropes to the floor. What? Brian's now complaining about the ref not DQing the Blue Bloods, because over the ropes is still a rule. I swear, didn't they do a vote on that, like, two years ago? They do, it, they do it whenever they want, and I'm totally fine with it, as long as it's consistent. Where's Bill Alfonso? Cue the whistle. No. I'm still annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> The Blue Bloods are able to double-team Jerry out on the floor because of the complaining. And once they're back in the ring, Earl Robert comes in off the top rope with a knee drop for a two-count. A perfect knee drop. And the Blue Bloods keep up the attack until Regal misses a senton, allowing Sags to make the... Hot tag! Nobbs is in with right hands to everybody, body slams Lord William, and makes a cover, only for Eaton to break it up. Brian and Regal then bump heads, causing Lord Stephen to fall out to the floor and knocking out Nobbs. When Sister Sherry and Stevie Ray come running out to ringside, distracting the ref and Sags. Booker T then runs out to fly off the top rope with the Harlem Hangover, a flipping leg drop. Yeah, it looks great. On to Brian, while Eaton has climbed to the top rope as well. Booker then hops over the top rope, but it knocks Earl Robert down, crotching him in the process. Not the Earls. As Harlem Heat leaves to the back. Sags then drops a flying double axe handle on Eaton, followed by Nobbs crawling over to make the cover for the pin and and the win. win. Everybody, we've got an angle. The Blue Buds are getting booed. Nasties are over, Harlem Heat's involved, you know, at least we've got something to do in the tag division. It's Har- not Harlem Heat's pretty upset because they thought they had helped the Blue Bloods win. Yeah. Nope. 
Wonder what we'll get <coughs> on the next show. I mean, it's a bit fresher than Heat versus the Nasties Forever, so glad to see some uh, a little bit of new blood in the tag division. New old blood. We can get another video package, and we get narration over a bracket for the U.S. Heavyweight Title Tournament. And this is because Vader had been stripped of the belt a few months earlier for beating up Dave Sullivan. But of course, that really hadn't stopped him from continuing to get world title opportunities. And he was like, oh, I have to go to Japan. No, they just, they just didn't. They didn't have anything for the U.S. title. They didn't want him having to defend U.S. title but still be in the world title picture. But they just hadn't done anything with the belt since then. Yeah, so they go beat up old Evad. Yeah. So we didn't get a recap of what happened during the tournament. This is where I get upset because I'm like, Steve is still here? And we haven't seen Steve? Exactly. And I'm talking of one, um, Steve Austin. Well, yeah. And the fact that they were talking about a Steve and Savage match that we didn't really get to see either. Yeah. It was on TV. I know. I I probably watched it back then, but... We've watched so much stuff. I say stuff with some, you know, some phlegm in my throat. Some big Fs in there. Yeah, some stuff. And uh, and Austin's over here having matches with Savage on television. Not winning tournaments. But basically the big highlight was Savage would end up helping Flair advance to ensure that they would face each other. But before their semi-final match, Nate and Macho Man would brawl in the backstage area and out into the street where they would be counted out before the match would even begin. Hey, it checks out. There's a, there's a blood feud here. You beat up Papa Poffo. So this would make the other semi-final match the final. Yeah, there's a, there was a, a, a buy here. Double DQ. Yes. We then go live with Mean Gene, where he's joined by Mean and Colonel Robert Parker. And Parker says he didn't cross the Mason Dixon to leave without nothing and guarantees a Mean victory. Okerlund starts talking about Steen's championship history, which just kind of annoys Mean. So he starts showing off his martial arts skills with some kicks. Ming kick. We then get an ad for Bash at the Beach. Hey, you remember yeah, that? Hogan's having fun in the sun, remembering days of thunder in paradise. And Hogan promises to draw hundreds of thousands for the event. Hundreds of thousands. Sure. And the event will be on an actual beach. But that also means that the tickets will be free. <laughs> Glad they're going to sacrifice the gate money for a cool visual. I mean, uh, that's sure. totally a WCW kind of thing. I mean, do. yeah, this is uh, early lifting the veil on a continued trend throughout their uh, tenure sure. as uh, the number two, number one at times as well. But, you know, as the opposition to Stanford, Connecticut's WWF. We go to back to Mean Gene, and he is with Sting now. And Sting says he has paid his dues. And lists the titles he has won. He also asked Ming if he knows what he's getting into. Because he doesn't even know. I mean, I wouldn't want to get in the ring with Ming. I mean, Sting could totally kick my ass, but in a shoot fight... Taking Ming all day long. Taking Ming all day long. 
Yep. So we're headed to our seventh match. Ming with Colonel Robert Parker versus Sting in the finals for the WCW United States Heavyweight title. Ming starts off with tons of hard strikes. Oh yeah, he's got those big kicks and, uh, you know, Sting dodging them. Only for the Stinger to come back with a pair of drop kicks that causes Ming to regroup on the outside with the Colonel. Back in, more striking from Ming when Sting rakes the eyes, hits a drop kick, only to whiff on a charge at the ropes, falling out to the apron where Ming knocks him down to the floor, falling out to run the Stinger into a guardrail. Back in the ring, Ming delivers a sit-out powerbomb for a two-count, followed by a shoulder breaker, before locking on a trap hole. I mean, at least he just gave us a sit-out powerbomb. That was pretty cool. It was. And then he tosses Sting out to the floor, where Parker gets in a few licks. Kinky. <laughs> licks, ew. <laughs> Once back in the ring, Ming with a headbutt and Mongolian chops, before sending the Stinger to the ropes, only for him to come back with a sunset flip. But Ming stays up and throat thrusts down. Uh, I love the throat thrust. I think Ming's got a good one. Ming goes back to the trap hole. Woo! Back, back to the trap. When the two men start fighting over a backslide, with the Stinger using the turnbuckles to flip over Ming, run to the opposite corner to leap up and off the turnbuckles with a body block. Ming is up first, though, to deliver a flying headbutt for a near fall. Going for a back suplex, which Sting counters to fall on top of him for a two count. The Stinger continues with a pair of clothesline that Ming just absorbs. So Sting goes for a leaping lariat that takes him down. The Stinger with a face slam, atomic drop, and another clothesline that takes them both over the ropes to the floor. A real 360. Sting follows out to continue the punishment when the ref goes to check on Ming. And he was actually knocked out for a moment. Yeah, I mean, this point. the refs typically don't check like that. And I was like, oh, I'm pretty sure his head hit the steel on the way down. I mean, you can you can kind of see Nick Patrick basically tell Sting, back off, go after Parker. Go yeah, after yeah, him. yeah. He's like, give him a second. So that's what Sting does. He starts to stalk after Parker, but Ming recovers and then goes for a clothesline, which Sting ducks, sending Ming into the ring post. Posted. I mean, Ming headfirst in the post after he just got, after he just came to. All right. <laughs> Poor guy. The Stinger rolls Ming into the ring and applies the Scorpion Deathlock, but the Tongan powers out. Sting keeps up the attack and clips the knee before coming off the top with a flying clothesline and a flying splash for a two count. The Stinger then delivers a jumping DDT for the pin. And the win. And new. To earn that belt, I believe he needed to just... I mean, I hate it when they screw something up and then they just do it again. But that jumping DDT <laughs> looked like booty. <laughs> Bing's just too big for that spot from Sting. Sting, need, just Sting needed to do a splash or something. Go give old Evad a hug or something like that, because if... <laughs> You can have the belt taken away for beating him up. Maybe you can get it just by hook. Shivani then congratulates Billy Ray Helms for winning the WCW Father's Day Lookalike contest. As he's dressed like Big Bubba Rogers. That's right. And a pretty good one at that. So in this contest, basically, fans would send in pictures of their dads 
dressed as wrestlers. And this guy won. Hmm. He was like, I don't have any kids. I just really like wrestling. <laughs> and I kind of look like Ray Trainer. I mean, it's my middle name. <laughs> yeah, Ray. he's got the Ray. Tony then sends us to a video package where we get narration about the rivalry between the Nature Boy and Savage, where we see Macho Man go after Flair in the crowd at Super Brawl. We see Savage and Hogan get Nature reinstated before the Nature Boy attacks Macho Man while in drag. At remember Slam- that? I remember that. that was <laughs> I remember that? That was weird. At Slamboree, Flair and Arn Anderson attack Angelo Poffo, locking on a figure four. And then in the U.S. title tournament, Savage is shown helping Nate win his match so that they would match up. But then we see the brawl that we saw earlier as well. Yeah, I love that Ric Flair, banished from WCW, picks a fight with Macho Man because he knows he's a hothead and that he'll want a match with him. So he gets reinstated and then, you know, and then it just becomes a them uh, pranking each other. Essentially, he's like, you know, there are some, some hot heads. And we all know Randy Savage has uh, quite the hot head, and Ric Flair will do anything to get to the top. Did you notice that Team Hogan has all the gold? Sure did. That's just, make, all. just making sure. It's a real shame that Sting is even a fucking a part of that. But it's what is, what is he going to do? Go heal? We then get Mean Gene welcoming Macho Man for an interview in the back. And Savage applauds Renegades and Sting's title win, saying WCW is on fire, but is nothing compared to the fire in him. I mean, Sting, net positive, Rennie with a belt, yeah. it's on fire, but it might be a garbage fire. I was going to say, it's more of a dumpster fire. <laughs> then you got the nasties, mm-hmm. it's just... I mean, you know, Nazis yeah, are fine. At least we got some that's getting freshened up over there. Yeah. They just wiped their, wiped their pits earlier in the match, so. Macho then starts talking about Father's Day, saying it takes place in a world that we call the planet Ert. Welcome to Ert. He didn't say Ert. He <laughs> welcome, says Ert. Welcome to Ert. Before <laughs> wishing his dad a happy Father's Day, wherever he is. Where could you be, Papa Poffo? And he promises to take down Flair because I'm too hot to handle and too cold to hold. Hell yeah. That's my macho, man. Yeah. So we got our eighth match. The Nature Boy, Ric Flair, versus Macho Man, Randy Savage, with Angelo Poffo. <gasps> so I guess, I guess Macho found him. Yeah, you know, he comes out. Uh, he, gets, he gets his own little entrance afterwards. I love... They give these huge sparklers for Randy when he comes out to where, like, the camera's kind of, like, blown out. Uh, and then he, like, stops and, like, turns and, like, gives the entrance to his dad. And, you know, he's just happy to be able to do this for his dad, which is a nice moment. And uh, it's a nice moment for us, too, because Ric Flair and Randy Savage, who doesn't want to see? Who doesn't? So Poffo does have a cane to help him walk down to the ring, selling, you know, the injuries that he got at Slamboree. Plus the guy's all of, like, fucking... 80. So there's a lot of intensity right off the bat with Macho chasing Flair before whipping him around the ring delivering several clotheslines to put the nature boy on the floor followed by a double axe handle off the top rope. Ooh, we're starting hot. Nature pokes the eyes but charges right into a back body drop on the floor. 
Savage then goes to throw Flair into a ring post, only for the Nature Boy to reverse, sending Macho head first. Post it. Nage continues with a double sledge off the apron before rolling Savage back into the ring, where Flair continues the attack with chops and a rolling knee drop. Macho begins to fire back, choking the Nature Boy in the corner until Nage can escape to the outside, only for Savage to follow after to continue the punishment. Back in the ring, Flair heads up top, only to be press slammed off to the mat, and is then Flair flipped over the ropes to the floor. The Nature Boy goes to attack Angelo when Macho hits him from behind, then turns to check on his dad, allowing Nate to chop block him and deliver a shinbreaker across the guardrail. It's a rough one. Back in the ring, Flair continues working the leg with Savage trying to fight back, where they end up back outside with Macho sending the Nature Boy into a guardrail. They both head back into the ring where Nate locks on a figure four even using leverage, only for Savage to reverse the hold, forcing Flair to release it. Macho struggles to make it to his feet, so the Nature Boy heads up to the top rope, only for Savage to avoid the knee drop and begins to fire up, sending Nature to the corner for another Flair flip out to the apron. The Nature Boy starts to run to the next turnbuckle, leaping up and off, only to be caught with a shot to the gut on his way down. A shot to the gut, and it's too late. Macho heads up top himself, coming off with a savage elbow for a two-count as he pulls Nature's shoulders off the mat to continue the punishment. I mean, it's good stuff. You can't, he can't kick out of that elbow. It's a beautiful elbow. We haven't seen one this good in a while from Macho Man. And he pulls him up because of a blood feud. Because... Rick was picking on his dad. Macho goes out to the floor and finds a ring bell. But the ref (gasps) takes it away. So Savage heads up top again, only for Flair to roll out to the floor. You guys like the callback? It's like, oh, is he going to hit him in the throat? He can't do that. It's just a cute, it's like a a wink and a nod to the the fans. Like, I kicked your ass this way last time. Mm Mm-hmm. It's also possibly a callback to... Ricky Steamboat. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. WrestleMania 3. I I was pumped for it. Macho doesn't seem to care that Flair's on the floor as he leaps off at the Nature Boy, who moves, sending Savage right into the guardrail. That guardrail is really Ric Flair's friend. Nate starts working a cut that is opened up over Macho's eye with He's punches. busted open. Before stalking after Angelo again, where he starts to choke Flair with his cane. But a back elbow knocks Poffo away allowing the nature boy to take control of the cane. What was the rabbit's name earlier? Ralph. Oh, yeah. So Rick was doing some uh, Ralph punches to the open cut of Macho. (laughs) Savage is back up, and he knocks nature away. But once they roll back into the ring, Flair whacks Macho with the cane. It's, It's a rough one. I could see Randy... Being maybe either heated afterwards or elated because he's Randy Savage, where he's like, he's like, that was a rough one, but it looked good. I think Macho would have totally just swing his swing away. I think, yeah, you, I mean that that's my thought as well. But yeah, uh, you do that, you do that to Hogan, and you're, and you're not you're not showing up next week. <laughs> Flair then makes the cover for the pin and the win. Post match, the Nature Boy immediately just heads to the back 
while Savage struggles to get to his feet. Tony and the Brain discuss the main event and our future pay-per-view bash at the beach. And Heenan says he predicts the biggest gate ever, with Shivani asking him if he knows what the wrap-up sign means. So Bobby just throws his headset at Tony and walks off, followed by Shivani saying his goodbyes. And the credits roll. He's like, yeah, yeah. Like Bobby's like, when he gets calls him out, he's like, "You're finished. I'm out of here." And he just throws it off and walks away. Yeah, it's the kind of moment you want to see out of Bobby. Crazy that the crowd is so happy to see Rick win. It's like there's a a pretty big pop for uh, Randy taking the pin, even though Rick is the heel. But I mean, everyone loves Ric Flair. Every yeah, everybody yeah, everybody loves Ric Flair. But I think that it's just probably. A thing where they're probably NWA or Crockett, maybe in Ohio over. Well, actually, I just looked at me. I was like, this is Ohio. And I was like, this feels like this should be Savage and Hogan country more than it would be NWA, yeah. NWA that's why I wasn't sure. Crockett, so it, could be, yeah, it could be a crowd that's not used to seeing Ric Flair, so. That's, yeah. That's true as well. Maybe. Yeah, but it was just, it was, I found that a little interesting because it's like, well, you ask me some of the best guys to do it, Ric Flair and Randy Savage would be up there for different reasons, but more similar reasons than some other guys. You know, they got the promo. They can work. So I ask you gentlemen, what are our overall thoughts of Great American Bash 1995? It, uh, it was uh, in America, and it was a bash. But we've seen worse. American Bashes, I think, maybe. Um, one of our favorite shows was a Great American Bash of all time. 89? Yes. I mean, yeah. But that's, you know, this is not Great American Bash 89. No, definitely not. Yeah, I mean, the it's definitely an American Bash. Great, I don't know if I would call it that. I'd call it good. Good. Okay. Good American to fi- uh, fine to good. I'm trying to think. There's not really anything here that I absolutely... Hated and the show was easy to watch. Let me, let me give you my thoughts real fast. Okay, so we're kind of we're, we're kind of trying to figure it out. For a WCW show, I think this is an outstanding show. It's because cons- it's because of consistency. Yes. Okay. On an overall basis, basically against everything that we've watched, it's a solid show that definitely has its moments. Who did we not have on this show, guys? The Orange Goblin. No Orange Goblin, and maybe that was helpful. So maybe he should go away more often so we can focus on better talents. There were better wrestling matches Absolutely. on this show. I mean, Sting and Ming was Everybody actually had good. A name. We, didn't, we didn't have a man without a name this time, so that's a plus two. I mean, Randy Savage and Sting in a, I mean, in a, in a blood feud. Flair and Savage, Savage be doing. main evented a show. We started the show really good. We ended the show really good, and everything in between wasn't was horrible. Not horrible. The nasties uh, had some some fresh people to work with, and it was more entertaining. Harlem Heat had the best match we've seen Harlem Heat have, uh, and it was with Bunkhouse Buck, which is saying. I on. mean, Duggan and Pittman was probably the worst match, and I didn't, didn't hate, hate it. it. No, because Pittman was kind of like it's like oh, this guy kind of feels like something. I mean, my biggest complaint with that match is that. Pittman works the leg the entire match, and then his finisher is a arm breaker. Yeah, I mean, that's need, to work, a, need to work on that. A yeah, bit. that's that's silly. But the thing is, is, like, well, here's this fresh guy. Back in the day, for 
like people could have been like that, that would be a thing where it's like oh he fucked up because he's green he didn't go to the leg he doesn't you know whatever like he's it was it was a mistake on his part and that's why he lost the match so i can understand that logic especially for a guy you don't know if you're gonna push or not but he doesn't he doesn't look embarrassing here he's not jungle gym stealing in this wcw pay-per-view he's big and energetic and like he looks good against duggan the most embarrassing thing maybe on this whole show is that there's USA chance for Duggan while the other guy's wearing a uh, United States Marine Corps t- t-shirt. Yep. Which is just <laughs> silly and like a dumb plan. It's like, well, this nobody knows who this guy is anyway. He could have any gimmick. Don't put him against Duggan or don't I mean, put him out there as a Marine. He was supposed to be versus Bagwell. So, I mean... Okay, yeah, that's I a mean, good point. Duggan was probably a, it was a last-minute replacement probably yeah and they're like here's this power plant guy who has a lot of energy and duggan has a lot of but energy. they probably should have thought that through just a little bit more because since he does the usa chance yeah yeah even though Pittman is a heel and he shouldn't like it shouldn't matter but he's still a fucking actual marine <laughs> they could call him a marine and not put him out in a shirt that says united states marine corps and it would and it would be like a little bit easier but it's but like it's on the shirt but how would we know he's not a, he's a marine because Tony, we just, Tony would tell us multiple times don't, how would the crowd know just don't have a damn match do they need to know they're gonna chant USA anyway but I get totally I totally get you I mean, this show's not a chore Sergeant Craig Pittman such a draw at the time that we had to have a match with them thrown together at the last second because Bagwell well Duggan needs injured. his payday and they're not gonna pay him for doing nothing Duggan didn't have a match to begin with he was supposed to, right? With Bagwell. Oh, he was... No, oh. Pitt, Pitt, Pittman was supposed to have... Oh, the yeah, that's Bagwell. what I'm thinking. Oh, okay. Doug well, was the replacement. Yeah. Never mind. I have no idea what I'm talking yeah. about. <laughs> Arn, always the consummate professional in putting over Renegade and always being the most solid guy on the show. I'm just scared what the next Renegade match is going to look like because I doubt it's against Arn. Yeah, it's like, who could it be against that's going to do... A, a good enough job and also like it's like yeah other people probably could do a good enough job but would they do it with the professionalism that Arn Anderson would? Probably not. No. Nope. I mean look at who was it that kicked at three against Alex Wright? Paul Roma. It was Paul Roma. It's like most people would probably have more of that and Arn comes from Paul Roma's generation and he is a professional whereas Paul Roma's like fuck this guy and it's okay for him to feel that way, but like, you can't do that here in 1994 or 95. Don't do it in the ring. Don't, yeah, don't do it on pay-per-view. Yeah. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right, fuck you. I think it's time we smart it up. So what are some of the best moments of this show? Um, first match. 15 minutes of like what we, the things we raved about in WCW over the last handful of years. And we've been I mean, missing. it's definitely the kind of match that we... That we really like. Yeah, it uh, builds, well worked. I mean, what do you, like, there's, it's uh, not super fast paced, like some of the junior stuff we've been seeing recently mm-hmm. in uh, Japan or in ECW, but it's a more like deliberate and traditional wrestling pace uh, with high spots well placed throughout building to a climax like a wrestling match should do a lot of the time savage and flair i mean i said it earlier 
It's the best Harlem Heat match I think we've seen. Yeah, it really was, and like you said, that's crazy because it's bunkhouse buck. And, and like I, I, lo- I, love, I love the finish for that match. It, it's just a, it's silly, but at the same time, it's very very good. Yeah, it's it's very, like it feels like Jim Cornette was the agent on this, where he's like, "Hey guys, this is the finish we're doing," and it was, it was yeah, it was perfect with Parker and Sherry, you know, having a feud uh, before the match and it ending because like he. Uh, gives her shit and kisses her in a promo earlier and at the end of the match she spoils his cheating by going back and reversing it. Actually now looking through this, like so the ending of that match and then the ending of the Blue Bloods Nasty Boys match, like they're two kind of crazy endings, but they're endings that we haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. Because you know, with Harlem Heat running down like, Yeah. Messing up, Eaton doing the Alabama jam mm-hmm. Which with with uh, Booker T jumping over the ropes and crotching. I I was like, it's such a small thing that if you're not paying attention, you do not see. Yeah, because I had to like I was like watching it, and I guess I looked away, and all of a sudden, you know, Bobby's crotch crotched on yeah. the top rope, and I'm like, well, it's the what what just happened? It's that speed of like when. Tag team wrestling was could could main event a show of like the Express and the Midnights and stuff mm-hmm. where like it's wild and you you like can't catch everything but it's magical and here is like just a taste of that that thing that's like kind of been gone for quite a while. The finishes are super intelligent for tag stuff and now we've got new blood into a old feud and everything kind of feels fresh which is hard to pull off considering we've seen enough heat and nasties but now I'm like okay well where are we going to go from here it's not going to be a triple threat tag team don't look at me like that we can't do that it's 1995 nobody wants that now oh yeesh I'm afraid I'm very afraid but that being said, you put it into the universe. I did. I put it in the universe. But it's already happened. You should know that you should not ago. call matches into existence because you do it quite often. I do. You're right. Me I look mean, at me. Me again. They're not always a ravishing Rick <laughs> steamboat. Yeah. Sometimes I'm. A, yeah. Sometimes I'm like, I want to see that, and then Matt gives me a look, and I'm like, yes. And then sometimes I'm like, well, we don't want to see that, right? And then Matt gives me a look, and I'm like, ah, um, why did I say it? It was little, but it just. I thought it was a fun way to end the show with Bobby. Just, yeah. oh, oh so you're going to give me shit for talking too much? So Here's my beautiful. headset. Fuck you. I'm done. Beautiful moment. <laughs> I was cracking up. I, 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 I wound it back a couple times because I was like, oh, this is, Bobby's having a good time. I was drunk last time. I mean, I think that Bobby might just be happy that Hogan's not around. Mm-hmm. And he got to do a Ric Flair, call a Ric Flair and Savage match. Yeah, and Flair won. How about most disappointing? Um, I mean... I'm always disappointed that Arn goes in and stares at the lights, but that's also why I love Arn. I mean, that is the most disappointing thing to me, because, like, literally as soon as it was, like, Renegade, and then I was like, oh, okay, cool, This guy that amounts Renegade, to nothing. I'm like, who, who, who's going to get to get squashed? And then it was Arn Anderson, and I'm just like, we are not putting the championship on Renegade. Oh, and then we did, are. and I was like, well, this match could have been worse. 
Yeah. It, honestly, all it does is uh, make you love Arn even more. Like I said, the yeah. consummate, consummate that's professional. True. That's true. Like, that's the same thing. It's like, he's one of my favorite wrestlers, and Tomohiro Ishii is one of my favorite wrestlers, and it's for very similar reasons. Is that they go in there, they always do a great job, and they aren't too prideful. They know where they know where their like bread is buttered, and it's in the middle of the card having matches that people want to see. The unnecessary hacksaw Craig Pittman match. Uh, I mean, hacksaw being the guy is probably the disappointing. Like, yeah, they need to build new stars. So I, I don't, mean, ha- I don't if, have any problem if, with Pittman if, being on, nah, the, it just, on the show. The match didn't need to take place. If if Bagwell's injured, cool, find something else for Pittman to do. You know, have him berate somebody, but there's no need to throw him in a match with Duggan just because. Yeah, I mean, but is that the worst match on the show? If so, that's kind yes. of a, that's yeah. a, that's a positive because it's still a pretty watchable match. Yeah, mostly because of Pittman having some strong energy. Like, he's Michael very energetic. Pettit being released due to budget cuts. I mean, the camera's not catching the finish of the arm wrestling match. That was like show like you, they did catch you, it. You, they did catch it. The but they need to make sure that the 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 director has the correct angle angle yeah. showing, so yeah. we don't have to go to a replay to understand. Yeah, what happened. I forgive it just because we actually have it and it's shown to us, and we've seen so many shows in the past. But I mean, that was worse technology and less money behind it. Of like, what even happened? What was the storyline here? But. You know, I mean, uh, overall, I, I mean, literally, those are the three things that I'm disappointed about the show, and so those are super small things. The show is incredibly watchable. Yeah. I think that it's a good. I think it's a. a I'm good, just not a fan. I think it's a solid, like, a solid middle tier. It's, as you guys put it, I mean, I think it's. I love the first match. I love the last match. That everything in between is just kind of hit and miss for me. I don't think anything in between. But like I'll I say said, it's welcome. For a, for a WCW, WCW yeah. show, it's a breath of fresh air. It yeah. kind of is. Which is weird because all it is is a solid show. Yeah. I mean, that's how bad the WCW shows have been. Like. And it helps when you have two bookends of high quality. Yeah. I mean, you start start a show off great and you end a show off great. Usually you can put some of the stuff in the middle. You kind of yeah. give it a little bit of a pass. But everybody was there with their working shoes on, no matter how you felt about them. Everybody had the energy. Nobody was phoning it in. I mean, My, who would you say is the best performer, though? It's so hard because... I'm giving it to Pillman for having a year off, coming back, kicking off a show. And, and doing it to wild cheers. Yeah. But it's hard, man, because, of course, Randy's great. Of mm-hmm. course, Ric Flair's great. Of course, Arn Anderson was great. I think Ming... This kind of unsung hero. I would not put him as the best, but I think that Ming, you know, it's great to see him here. I'd rather see him in the middle of the card than Renegade, but it is what it is. True. I don't think anybody had a poor showing. Even Bunkhouse Buck? I'm going to give it to the production crew because they're getting those packages. They're tight. Yeah. They tell the story. You know. The show's, like I said, the show, nothing outstays its welcome, which is so helpful in wrestling. Oh, Billy Ray. Is like just timing. He overstayed his welcome. <laughs> How about most surprising? The fact that Austin's still here and he's just been hanging out on TV. The fact that it's Except the first that they let me know. in three years and Hogan didn't make an appearance. Oh, very nice. 
I mean, Hogan, <laughs> I mean, he technically made an appearance through highlights, but he wasn't on the show, which was very surprising. I mean, honestly, all it did was make our positives are because of a, the bookends. Like, and in the middle, of course, not being trash, but like the bookends are so high, and it's like, well, what are we going to do with Hogan at the end? The, yeah. Like, that would like leave us happy. I mean, say they take out the Duggan. I mean, they probably take out both the arm wrestling match and the Duggan Pittman match. Yeah. And they put Hogan and Vader at the end. Are we still as happy with this show? Oh. No, because Vader Probably loses. Because Vader loses. Even, even with having two yeah. above average matches and three average matches. I mean, this is one of those things where the heel... We have the ending yeah. that we probably go out just hating, and it just makes everything else just worse in our eyes. Well, the heel wins, but we're still sent home happy because we had a good feud that was built well with two guys that are like I mean, all timers timeline yes yes so that's nice and no posing no posing there's you don't need to pose that was a blood feud there's no time to pose <laughs> in a blood feud no american hero and now for a look back even further into the history of wrestling the dusty finish big van vader had held the iwgp heavyweight championship for over a year, when Ricky Choshu would meet him at Summer Night Fever 2 on August 19, 1990, in Tokyo, Japan, in the Rogoku Gogukikon. The two longtime rivals would match up in front of a ruckus crowd, where Choshu would bring the fight to Vader, only for the big man to use his power to take control of the match. The fight would be taken to the floor, where Ricky would be run into the ring post to be busted open before returning to the ring to be hit with a splash in the middle. Big Van Vader would continue the attack with stiff shots and clotheslines before heading up to the top rope, where Choshu would meet him there to bring the big man down with a superplex. Ricky would fire up with enziguris and clotheslines until he would apply the scorpion deathlock, but Vader would make it to the ropes to break the hold. Big Van Vader would regain control with more stiff shots and an avalanche splash in the corner. But a second attempt would result in Choshu hitting several more clotheslines that would finally take the big man down for the pin. Ricky Choshu would begin his second reign as champion, but a man who had never lost the belt was waiting in the wings. Bum, bum, bum. Could that be one Antonio Inoki? No. Okay, just, 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 just a guess. What year is that? Do you know? 1990. 1990. Cool. I was like curious. I'm like, some of these uh, like um, dusty finishes, I'm like, we're getting really close to where we're at right now. <laughs> but it's 1990. It's five years ago. We're good. That's right. We're talking Vader. We're talking Choshu. Vader doesn't lose to just anybody. He does not. But next week, King of the Ring 1995. Shane, um, where is this show taking place? Oh, that sounds like it might be in Philly. Oh, wow. Cool. Yes. Yeah. Philly. Mm, I speak Philly, too. <sighs> King of the Ring in Philly. Woo! 95 is off to a boom and start in I mean, Philly. <laughs> Only uh, in Philly, except for this little excursion that we're making to Dayton. 
currently, but only Philly. Fucking Philly. Sorry. It's a wrestling town, man. What's your real feel? <sighs> Music for How do you really, Philly? Music from this week's show is Leading Edge by Tom Blades. And Ric Flair won our main event. So we play Spotch Zarathustra by Strauss. If you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there, rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcast set. If you have any questions, comments, concerns. What the fuck do you eat in Philly, Philly people? Maybe a pastrami sandwich? I mean, I've heard that. <laughs> but you can email us at WrestlingHistoryX at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at WrestlingHistoX. That's Wrestling. H-I-S-T-O-X. We'll talk to you next week. Late. Laters. Oh, wow. I was like, where is he going? <laughs> it was Pomp. Not Pomp. It was Spot. <laughs> <laughs>